happy to be here. I have to admit, I really love the desert. This is not, a, I don't come here. But it's, it was so beautiful, and I get it. Now I see all the streets named, you know, Rembrandt and Picasso. I get it. Okay, the painted desert. Now I understand. It's beautiful. Um, so I've really enjoyed my time here, but I have to say that I really want to tell you how lucky you are to have the Sweeney's. I just love this. We, we got to stay. We're staying at their house. And um, I have to say, they're just some of the most pure-hearted people I've ever met. I just feel like it washes my heart to be here. I get my soul washed every time I'm around them. And we have had such great conversations. And the Rocks also. You're so lucky to have them. We've known um, Jake ever since he was at youth camp, actually. Um, not himself, but being probably, you know, a counselor or something. But um, I couldn't be happier to be here. I got to see a bunch of old friends and even Michelle, who I baptized so many years ago. I, that was shocking to me. You know, we used loose track after, you know, so many years. But I'm very excited to be here, and I hope that you um, have come expecting something great to happen. I'm, expe- I'm expecting something great to happen, so <laughs> I hope you are. Okay. Um, so we're talking about being beautiful, um, wonderfully made, right? But I want to start with this question today. Who influences you? You know, we are living in a time where we have something new. It's called influencers. And um, if you're not familiar with that, that is sort of an Internet term now. And it has this definition. An influencer is someone with the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of others. And what's come from that is something called influencer marketing. Okay, stay with me here. It is an $8 billion ministry. I mean, not ministry. <laughs> $8 billion industry. You can tell what I do. Um, and it is basically when companies will partner with influencers in order to increase brand awareness or conversions among a specific target audience. So they look at people that have tons of followers. Of course, we find followers on social media, right? So that marketers have realized, companies have realized, if we can ally ourselves with somebody like Kylie Jenner, right, or Billie Eilish, I think that's who it is, then we have an 11 times greater return on the investment. In fact, um, according to Big Commerce, 69% of marketers plan to spend the most money on all of their marketing on Instagram next year. It's crazy, right? So, And then if you think about, okay, so who's this? So now we're into YouTube. We're we're talking about the biggest influencers of all time, really. I mean, if we look at this, PewDiePie, I just think that's hilarious. Um, 103 million, 103 million subscribers. Shane Dawson, 23.2 million. Logan Paul, 20.6 million. Jenna Marbles, 20.2 million. You see, I have to turn because my eyes are so bad that I actually can't read the little things that are up on the... Oh my gosh, I'm feeling old right now. Okay. Uh, Jeffree Star, more controversial here, 17.5 million. And then of course, it's scary. Jojo Siwa. 10.7 million followers at 16. See, no longer are traditional ads, we don't want to see like these beautiful models and we don't want to see the traditional advertisements. People want to see somebody that they know, know, who uses the products. 
And that's kind of a lesson in itself right there. But it is quite scary, I think, to see how much influence one person can have. We are all being influenced. I know far much more than we know, you know, by all these subliminal messages and nonstop advertisements. You know, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you go, oh, I'd really like a burger. Totally not hungry. Look at that burger. Oh, I'm really hungry, right? We're being influenced all the time. But the thought of a person holding sway over millions of people is really staggering. We see the danger mostly with our kids. This is easy for us to see because we all know that old proverb that bad company corrupts good character. Right. So we can know the importance of keeping an eye on who our kids are hanging out with just because we know the influence that friendship can have. Interestingly, YouTube has brought all these people into our homes that we would probably never allow our kids to hang out with uh, in real life. But, you know, that's a whole nother lesson. We're not going to do that today because today I don't really want to talk about our kids. I don't want to focus on our kids or our husbands or our roommates or our partners or anybody else. For the next 30 minutes, I just want us to focus on who influences us. Who influences how you feel about yourself? This really, you know, this whole influencing thing is nothing new. It's, it's millennia old. In the Bible, it talks about one who leads the whole world astray in Revelation. And that was written some 2,000 years ago. We also know that there is one who is inarguably the greatest influence the world has ever known, whose very existence counts the dividing time in history. His, uh, history is counted by his birth and his death. It's dividing history into two parts, B.C. and A.D., a nondescript Jewish carpenter of Nazareth, who poured himself largely into 12 people and a few women, 12 men and a few women, and could boast only 120 followers at, his, at the time of his death, which is like really meager by Instagram standards. And yet today there are 2.2 billion people alive who claim to follow Jesus. And that doesn't count the 4 or 5 billion that have claimed Christ these past 2,000 years. Yet Jesus himself, the greatest influencer of all time, stated clearly that his purpose was not to get people to follow himself, but to point people to God. He said in John that he came to declare or reveal or proclaim God. He wanted to get out of the way so that we could see God, even when he was calling for followers. He was desperately trying to communicate to the human race that the Father, the Creator, was good, and that they had unfortunately been led astray they were under the influence of another an enemy and this is where it gets good today my goal is to convince you to choose who influences you and not only that but to convince you to let your creator be the ultimate influence in your life and i like to use that word creator because i think some of us have had some bad interactions with god and jesus Depending on where you grew up, you could have had some bad interactions with those two names. But I think if we can erase anything, I want you to try to get rid of anything that you know already and just think about that there is a someone who created you, your creator. So for this, we need to go back a few millennia before Christ. And I even want to go back all the way to creation. 
And for those of you who are worried about this being a, you know, a, an evolution debunking session, it's not going to happen. That's not, nothing can be further from my mind. The creation story was never meant to be a scientific treatise of the, for the 21st century. It's much deeper than that. Not only is it inarguably poetry in its literary form, it is also a story that speaks deeply of the heart of God and the collision of the spiritual and the material. Actually, if you want a really mind-blowing thought, meditate on this. We can go back further than creation because in Ephesians it says that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, even if we sat here and meditated on that for a few hours, we would never really comprehend what that means. But what we can at least extrapolate from that is to see that we existed in some way in spirit before we ever existed in skin. The old quote that nobody is willing to say who who actually started this quote, but it does seem true, it's we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but rather spiritual beings having a human experience. And uh, we all kind of feel this subconsciously. You kind of know that somehow you feel this tension that while we were created to live in this world, we are somehow created for another world. C.S. Lewis says it this way. If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Something in us yearns for more than the material, precisely because we were made for more. While our bodies were made for this earth, our spirits exist on another level and yearns for that connection with our creator. When we go back to the garden, the original Eden, we see that this connection is what God had in mind, okay? Okay, so I'm going to take you really fast through creation. First, he created all the stuff, and he would create something on a certain date. At the end of that day, he would say, hey, it's good. That was good. And then when he created man and woman, he said it was very good. And he gave them, he gave them dominion over all the land. He gave them every plant and animal to enjoy. And they had each other for company, and quite frankly... For sexual pleasure. (laughs) He said, be fruitful and multiply. And it also says that they were naked and felt no shame. Yes, sex was God's idea. (laughs) It's a good idea. And as with everything else, his intention was good. He truly is a good father and he can be trusted. Take a drink on that. You talk about sex, you got to take a drink. Oh my goodness, it's getting hot in here. Okay, now, okay, for the religiously, i got to put this on. I guess I, I'm still going to have to go, okay. All right, uh, now for all of us who know the story, we can think, oh, but that was before the fall. That was before the fall, and that's true. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I do want to remind you that much later on, thousands, nobody knows exactly how long, but thousands of years later, the warrior poet and musician David wrote this in Psalm 139. He wrote, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we see that it wasn't just before the fall that God's creation is wonderful. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve. No, this says that each one of us is fearfully and awesomely made. That's wonderfully made. We are not sinful creatures created in sin, but beautiful spiritual creations woven together by a caring and loving creator. I can't emphasize enough how much this makes a difference in how you view yourself. No matter where you come from, you are not a mistake or an afterthought. You were specifically knit together one cell at a time. The Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's keeping track of every tear you've ever cried. And he has engraved you on the very palm of of his hand. He can be trusted and he is good. But there was another in the garden. Yes, you know the story, but we're going to read it here. Okay. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute. Was it a literal tree and a literal snake? I don't know. No one knows. No one really knows. And that's not the thing I want us to focus on right now. I want us to spend all those, those kind of crazy questions, which I love, those questions. And I do believe that you should always go to the problem in the passage because it's put there as a little treasure for you to seek deeper into God's word. That's why it's there. So I believe in that, but just not right now. Right now, I want us just to focus on there was a voice and there was a choice. These are two things that we can focus on, okay? Let's just focus on that. So what was communicated here? Let's see if this sounds familiar. Did God really say? If I could ask, if I could say just one question that I get more than any other about God after 25 or 27 years in his kingdom, this would have to be the one. Did God really say blank? Did God really say homosexuals go to hell? Did God really say that slavery is okay? Did God really say women are less important than men? Did God really say that a wife has to stay with her abusive husband no matter what? I have been asked all of those questions. From the very beginning, God has, God's words have been twisted and turned until they're almost unrecognizable at times from their original intent. Let's work it out. So here we have a God who has provided what appears to be paradise. Some say that the temperature must have been exactly perfect, right, for the unclothed human body. There was 
No, the, the, there was no rain. So the water just came up out of the earth, and the earth, you know, uh, watered itself. There was no fear of wild animals or death. There was literally dozens, if not hundreds, of plants to enjoy. Fruit, nuts, olives, avocados, root vegetables, vines, and grapes, figs, dates. I mean, what do you picture? This is the original plant-based diet. And I, I think it must have been awesome. Yet with this small little question, the goodness of God who did all that is brought into question. The voice was able to turn paradise into a problem, abundance into scarcity, and protection into restriction. How dare God, really? How dare he say you shouldn't do something? How dare he make something off limits? Oh, the injustice, discrimination. How could a loving God say such a thing? But actually, wasn't he exaggerating? You know, because he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? And actually, no, that's not what God said. There's no record of him saying that, at least. See, the voice has a way of exaggerating to make God look unfair, always. This is when she should have known. But the damage was done, and she took the bait, and she starts her own argument. And I think she adds a little exaggeration of her own, because she says, Oh, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. But... We don't really know for sure because that is actually, there's no record of God actually saying that. I don't know if he did, but regardless, this is not hard for me to picture at all, even if he didn't, because it's totally me. I mean, I can make an argument. I can have a complete debate and conversation all in my head. I can actually draw a conclusion on a matter based on a conversation that I actually only had in my head. <laughs> it never happened in real life, you know. And then they said, and I said, and I was going to be like, and then I said, and they said, ah, you know. <laughs> you know, this is human nature. I remember once talking to my oldest daughter, Adele, and she's really, really kind of a kind person in her speech. She's really mild-mannered. And she was telling me about this conflict that she had had with someone that she had encountered. And, and she was like, he said this. And then I was like, and she was telling me all these things, you know, that she said to him. And I, it was, she was recounting some pretty spicy words. And I was like, hey, I was kind of shocked. And I was like, did you really say that to him? And she goes, oh, no, of course not. I just thought it in my head. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right, yes, a head conversation, got it. Okay. You know, Eve should have been making an argument all right. But this is what it should have been. She should have been saying, well, hey, hang, hang on, hold up, hold up. Now, you've gone too far because, see, God has given me everything that I need. He has, he walks with me, he talks with me, he shows me nothing but love. How dare you try to make him look like a miser? How dare you question his goodness? That should have been the argument. She was just making the wrong one. She quibbled over words and added her own spin. Lesson for me, don't try to engage the enemy. In a, in a conversation at all, much less an argument, because he will always win. You need to shut him down 
and get your eyes back on God. This is what Jesus did when he was in the desert, when he was in the wilderness, right? This is what he did. Yeah, everybody, even if you're not religious, you don't know the Bible. All we, most of us know that he fasted for 40 days in the desert after he got baptized. And Satan came after him trying to get him to do something. You know, the enemy comes after him. And Jesus doesn't eat, just shuts him down with scripture. He doesn't engage him in a conversation. This is such a lesson for us. You quibble with the devil, you're going you're gonna to lose every single time. But he responds back to her, you know, and he says, oh, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. You know, it's a really interesting fact that, you know, he says this because I think she already knew good from evil because she already knew she wasn't supposed to do that. So that's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's just a little aside. But she was convinced by this, and in one brief conversation, the influence shifted from the creator to the enemy. Of course, it was very subtle, so she wasn't able to see it. It's not like he came right out and said, God is bad, he's lying to you, can't be trusted, follow me. (laughs) If he had, she might have caught it, right? No, but he had to convince her that she was missing out on something and offer her something better, you know, to be like God. That sounds good. That sounds better, wouldn't it? And again, I think this is something easy for us to see with our kids. You know, it, it, when their peers, their peers don't come up and say, your parents are bad, they don't love you, you shouldn't trust them. Nobody says that. That's much more subtle. You know, culture says, no, parents are just out of touch. They're not bad. They just don't know what's up. You need to be cool, right? Be popular, It's so obvious to us from the outside, but they can't perceive it. And I would suggest it is the same for us. We are not consciously thinking we are being influenced, but subtly these voices that remind us of all that we're lacking come in, right? We follow people at least in part because we're attracted to what they have, either a lifestyle or a mindset, an accomplishment, an attitude, He convinced her that he had something she needed. So when the woman saw that the fruit was of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for getting wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, I used to be really hard on even my mind. And I would think, you know, like, good grief, it's paradise. (laughs) What more could you want, you know, right? But then as I've gotten older, the more I realize how easy it is to focus on the one bad thing. (sighs) I mean, I can have 20 people tell me I'm awesome, but the one bad comment is the thing I fixate on. The one negative comment. I know people that have dozens of friends, but they can't be happy because of the one person that doesn't like them. We all live in houses with dozens, if not hundreds, of luxuries. But all we can see is that stain on the rug, that blind that won't go upright, you know, on that cabinet door that doesn't close properly. And I also realize the power of one strategically placed comment. I have this friend, her name's Alicia, Alicia Solano. Some of you might know her. And she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's Latina. And she's got this, like, beautiful hair. It's very big. It's very curly. It's very beautiful. But when she was going to kindergarten, 
And she walked in the classroom, and everybody else had straight, blonde hair. She, all she could do was cry. And somebody said something about her big hair. And it took her, I'm telling you, she's getting married next month. But I think it took her well up into her 20s before she got over that comment and stopped trying to straighten her hair all the time. It's really interesting, that one comment. But we might not realize it until we lose our home or our whatever altogether. And this is what happened with Eve. Here she was following that voice that was promising her wisdom and godliness And yet all she found was shame. So she starts to cover up, right? Remember before, she felt no shame. But now her response is to cover up. And and we as women have been imitating her ever since, covering up every mistake and every imperfection, embarrassed by our weight, our skin color, our bone structure, our natural hair color. Though it was her heart that was hurting, she sought the remedy by covering her body. Thousands of years later, not much has changed. You know, far from becoming like God, I think we've become more, more than we like to admit, maybe vain, a little, maybe insecure, spending hours on our outward appearance and minutes on our connection with God. Unlike Eve, we have the chance, though, to decide today who's going to influence us the most. We can choose the voice we want to follow. I'd like to ask you, why did you come here today? What were you expecting? I would like to propose that God brought you here today, that he drew you here, seeking a relationship with you, a deeper one. He is pursuing you just like he pursued Eve after her failure. Here it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which I guess around here is morning. Right, it's morning. It's beautiful. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, well, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I commanded you not to eat from? You know, it's really funny. I have a friend, her name is Sochi, and she has three amazing boys. They're so cute. They take violin for me, and I love them. And the oldest is like 10 right now. And she said the other day um, she came in, and he was, I don't know, in, in his room or whatever, and she was starting to come in. He goes, don't come in, Mom. i got to put my shirt on. She was like, oh, who told you you were naked? <laughs> She's like, I'm not ready for this, you know. Oh, I felt, I cried for her. (laughs) But I truly love reading this part of the story because it shows just how much, it shows God's heart as he pursues us. That's what I love about it. He doesn't come in with these harsh words and shame. He doesn't come in rebuking her. He comes in asking questions. You know, he's curious. Now, I'm thinking that since he's the creator, he likely knew where they were, right? But I think he asked these questions for their benefit. He drew them out. He gently led them through the process. You know, and we see the heart of God 
And he's still the same. We see it in Jesus later when he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, you see that? Gentle. Or when Isaiah speaks of God and he says, he gently leads those who have young. God is first and foremost a gentleman. He is not a tyrant or a loose cannon or a womanizer or a taskmaster. He is a loving father trying to connect with the heart of his daughter. And although their failure did come with consequences, as all things do, they did not lose the love of the father. He continued to care for them. Actually, in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. They had this urge to cover up. They're using the fig leaves. They're using whatever they can. And he goes, No, let me give you some good clothes, some fur. Even though their relationship had changed, he wouldn't leave them to fend for themselves. He makes them clothing and assures them of his promise to provide for them. And he is the same today. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is simply trying to connect with you and become the greatest influence in your life. He's not coming with a gavel of judgment but with a heart to have a conversation. He wants, you to, he wants to draw you out. He wants to draw out the wounds of your heart and heal them. He wants to ask you questions, and he wants you to ask questions. He's pursuing you. Will you let him influence you? Will you let him become the loudest voice in your head? You know you got a few of them. Will you arrange and rearrange your schedule? So that you have time to hear his voice, I really hope you will. Because I'm not sure how he does it, but somehow he's like able to see through all these layers, all that stuff that's covering up your true self. By the time I started following God, I I was 25, and I had a decade or more of layers on, on me. I mean, since I was 14 or 15, I had always tried to cover up with just the right man, or a little more success, or popularity, or acceptance. And I, I got all of those things, actually. You know, I married the man of my dreams. I was young. I was 20. I just turned 21, I think. And I, you know, moved to USC. I'd moved out to L.A., and I was going to USC to work on my master's. I was like, I'm, this is great. But, of course, with that, with the man and the career and the success came the impurity and the promiscuity, and the alcohol, and the drugs, and the arrogance, and the insecurity. You know, lies and selfish ambition had turned me into somebody almost recognizable from the person that God had created me to be. From the original design. A decade of searching, it was something like, you know, I was searching for something, but it was kind of like searching through the garbage can for something to eat. But, you know, God's not put off by the garbage. He knows because he knows who he created you to be. He knows what's in there. He values you. And once you step into a relationship with him, he can begin to remove all those caked on layers. One by one. And he tenderly wipes them away. He wipes away the dirty layers. And he scrubs the stubborn layers. (laughs) I got a lot of this. Until eventually your true self, it shines through. We can see the original intent. You know, the closer I get to the garden in God's original design and who he created me, the better life works in all ways. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. 
you know, realigning with your creator, it, it, it has moved me from away from, I used to anesthetize all my feelings with alcohol and drugs. But I don't need to because God has taught me how to get soothed by him. You know, he's taught me to listen to my body, to know when to eat and when to stop. And, I mean, these are no small feats. That might sound small, but I was overweight for 35 years. And I'd been using drugs for 15. So those are no little things. He's also taught me to trust my body for how much sleep I need. I haven't used an alarm clock. I know it sounds crazy, but I haven't used an alarm clock in like 10 years. I know. God wakes me up. I don't want to sound like a Looney Tune, but God wakes me up. I swear, when you get your rhythms back to God's rhythms, he, your body is made perfectly. Everything about you is made perfectly. And he, he will tell you when to eat and when to stop. It's a growl. I mean, it's not ingenious. I mean, just think about that one thing for a second. It's not ingenious. It's like he creates this meeting and he goes, oh, you'll know when to eat. Don't worry. And then you know when you're full. But if you eat too much, it causes problems for the body, right? If you drink too much, actually a little wine gladdens the heart. It's nice. But you drink too much, you're throwing up on your shoes. <laughs> and God is currently teaching me a rhythm of rest and how to relax with him. He's teaching me about recreation in its truest sense, how to be recreated through regular Sabbath keeping and rhythms more aligned with the original design that before electricity, you know what I'm talking about? You know, when you actually couldn't work until midnight because there was no light. <laughs> it's really amazing. I mean, God is really amazing. Even though he gets shoved to the side, I just want to convince you. You know, none of that is because I'm, you know, like a saint or a monk. I'm just an average mom. I mess up. I lose my temper. I fail. But our failures are no match for God. Remember, it was after her failure that Eve received her name. It says Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Even after failing miserably, she was used by God to bring life into a world that was now infected by the sin virus. She had lost no value in his eyes, and she would go on to have many children. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, Cain and Abel. He did. He was a murderer. And that's true. She did have one that made, at least one, that made some not-so-good choices. But she also had one named Seth, who would carry on the legacy of their family and would eventually lead all the way to Jesus. So she was responsible for ushering sin into the world, yes, but she was also responsible for ushering in the Savior of the world. You know, we're not our failures. I found this piece of art. Uh, uh, my friend Trey Holland found it, and it's called Mary Comforts Eve. Now, if you just think about that, you look at that. You know, that, that baby in her belly was actually Eve's legacy. And Mary is comforting Eve. It's okay. God works it out. That's what we need to hear when we fail. God works it out. When God becomes our greatest influence, we can come out of hiding. 
we can then become influencers of others. His light comes into us, and then we become a light to other people, to the world. It's not just for us. I have to admit, I am actually really grateful that that I was asked to speak. I'm very grateful because this forced me to do a whole bunch of research. And I avoid, even though I have this online community, I don't really like social media. It's like a, I don't know. I think there's some jealousy in there. I think there's like a demon of jealousy in in it because you're always like seeing what everybody else has. I need that, you know, or, or what are they doing? You know, the fear of missing out. They're having fun. I'm studying. You know, I mean, it's a real thing, right? So I kind of avoid it. But this sort of forced me into that world. Like, Tracy, you got to look at it. So I went and looked at it. <laughs> and it was some, in some ways, it was a little bit dreadful. Um, but I feel like God was trying to get my attention through it. Me personally, just for me. This is what I got out of this lesson. And I think he was saying, you know, you need to figure out how you can increase your influence in the world. I mean, when other time in the world, in history, have we ever lived where you actually could influence the whole world? That's crazy, if you think about it. But more than that, you know, what about figuring out how to influence just the people that live around us? You know, in our communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our church. How many points of light would there be in this room right now? You know, if Jesus with zero electronic capabilities can turn 12 followers into billions, it makes sense that if we will walk in his footsteps, we can become influencers too, you know. So let today be a new beginning for you no matter where you are. Seek a relationship, a deeper relationship with your maker in a new way. And let him convince you today that you are truly fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for listening.